Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. I am HR Works' new host, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. While we have a new voice, the purpose of this podcast is as it ever was. We aim to put valuable tools and knowledge in the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. These tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We know that employers spend a lot of time and energy on the entire employee life cycle, from sourcing to onboarding, straight through retention, engagement, and of course, exit interviews. How can HR professionals grapple with that life cycle if they can't predict the terrain of the HR landscape five or even 10 years from now? We are very fortunate to be joined by Ira Wolf to explore just that, what HR might look like by 2025 and even 2030. Ira is the president of Success Performance Solutions, which excels in pre-employment testing software uh, for sales, leadership, service, and production across a number of industries. In addition to being a blogger and prolific business writer, Ira is an accomplished speaker, having visited the stages of TEDx and Disrupt HR. He has even uh, he has also published books like such as The Perfect Labor Storm and Recruiting in the Age of Googleization: When the Shift Hits Your Plan. Ira, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thanks, Jim. Uh, it's an honor to uh, be part of the the uh, podcast as well. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Let's get started. With everything from automation to AI, I have to ask, will HR even have a role managing human resources in the future? I hope so. Uh, the You know, I was at a conference on Monday and Tuesday, and I, I gave a, a presentation, and it was a new one for me. Uh, and uh, in the middle of it, I changed the title of it. It was called There's an App for That, and it was really about the ethics of HR and, and where HR was headed and what the role was. Uh, and I changed the, the, the title. Only, it, was, it was basically a slide. And I said, you know, this should be the title. And it was how to keep the H in HR. Uh, and with automation and technology and everything, uh, you know, HR's role will hopefully be keeping the human and human resources. Uh, but they're, you know, obviously it's a challenge with, uh, you know, any, everything from, you uh, you know, AI and machine learning and, uh, you know, analytics, uh, where, where it's headed. And to me, that's the biggest concern that should be faced. And yet uh, there was probably 100, 150 people that I spoke to uh, in two different sessions. And no one had, you know, when I asked you to raise a hands, how many people within HR, how many companies were even evaluating the ethics of some of the things they're doing, uh, not a single hand went up. So, uh, so I, you know, the answer to, to that question is I don't know, but there's a there's a there's a big opportunity, and hopefully, uh, and I think there's an opportunity for HR to take the lead in starting to question. Not that they can stop change, and not that they can stop, uh, you know, because there's a lot of benefits to having uh, better analytics and, and artificial intelligence, and you know, better safety and quality of life. Uh, but there's also some real concerns with that, and I don't see people addressing it. Well, we're definitely going to talk about the ethics situation a little bit later on. Uh, but for now, I wondered if you could explain what a day in the life of an HR professional would look like in, say, 2025 or uh, even 2030. 
Yeah, and and this obviously that relates back to the other question. Just like every other position, uh, you know, any administrative, repetitive, low skill task will be automated, and it will be automated much sooner than than later. Uh, we've already seen that, and you know, if they even in, even in things like law, which isn't necessarily specific to HR, but um, it's a close parallel in the type of work that has traditionally been done. Uh, even in law, there is now robots, uh, which are you know, tech, or machines that are doing a lot of the research, the analysis of, uh, and it's already happened in accounting. So there's no reason to suspect it, that it's not going to happen in HR. And so I, I think HR needs to look at you know anybody in in the field, and I know HR is pretty broad. Uh, but how are decisions made? What's the work that's done on a day-to-day basis? And uh, there's a, a, a number of good studies that are out. Uh, the one that I always relate to because everybody, you know, I guess that the heart of this question is, will HR be one of those roles that's extinct? You know, is, is it a job that's extinct? And I don't believe that. Uh, but the, the bigger uh, concern is, and, and this really is, should be a concern for anybody on the planet, is that, uh, you know, nearly two thirds of all jobs will be at least one third automated. And, you know, I, I say this somewhat sarcastically, um, you know, when I when I tell people that, and I said, that doesn't mean you get to go home after, uh, you know, if you have a 40 hour work week now, that doesn't mean you get to go home at 25 hours. Uh, it just means that you're going to have, there's going to be different work that you're doing to fill up that additional time. And the skills that are required to fill up that time are going to be different. So is there going to be an HR professional? Is there going to be an HR generalist, the manager of HR? Yeah, I absolutely believe so. Um, but, you know, somewhere probably a half, you know, a quarter to a half of what they do on a day-to-day basis is going to be different. And a lot of it's going to be, um, you know, analysis. Um, you know, hopefully some of it's going to be, again, going back to that kind of broad term, but keeping the human and human resources. Well, thank you. Um, do you think, what do you think HR's role, how is HR grappling with automation now? And how are they going to grapple with it in the future? Yeah, um, probably from, from a qualitative standpoint, I don't think they're grappling with it well at all. Uh, there's a lot of fear. Um, you know, when I, uh, you know, part, obviously part of my book, when I talk about when the shift hits your plan, um, you know, it's about technology and, it, and it's about things of how artificial intelligence, machine learning, 3D printing, autonomous vehicles. And I always get people rolling their eyes. And uh, one of the comments uh, in my session the other day uh, is the first part of what I did was trying to help uh, HR put this in context. So the first part of my presentation was talking about giving examples of uh some of the advances that are made in technology and, and many of them, you know, are in healthcare, um, but they are going to come back to uh, change the way, you know, we live. It's going to change the way that we work and play and, and do all those things. Um, but, the, you know, somebody raised their hand and you can see the angst on her face. It was like, you know, it seems like we're starting to play God. And, you know, I'm not going to, you know, that's a whole other discussion of, of how far we can go. And, you know, there's a whole concept of singularity, which means that man and machine become one. Um, you know, whether you believe that or you don't believe that, or is that going to happen in the next century or two centuries? Uh, you know, we don't know. But, you know, as far as 2025 or what's going to happen in the immediate future, 
Um, I don't see, you know, HR technique, you know, traditionally and historically has not been, you know, the most progressive group of people. Um, they're not necessarily, you know, they've been, you know, HR is, you know, as HR professionals have been struggling to get that seat at the table. And part of the reason is they're so tactical and operational and not very strategic. Um, so I, I think, you know, fear is really driving a lot of these decisions. And I'd like to say that fear is a healthy element. Uh, when we start talking about the direction of automation and how it's going to affect work, how it's going to affect the people, uh, but it needs to go beyond. It needs to go way beyond that um, because if it's just driven out of fear, then nothing's going to happen, and somebody else is going to be making those decisions. Uh, so, I, I, you know, that's certainly a, that's certainly a huge concern. Do you think that HR can even be fully automated? Well, could it be? Yeah, I think it could. Uh, based, based on the practices now, I mean, if you look at what HR, you know, if, if you take the elements of HR, uh, certainly recruiting, uh, there's a lot of artificial intelligence um, and machine learning and uh, data analysis, uh, you know, being used in, in recruitment and selection. And, uh, you know, you're certainly familiar with, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but uh, Josh Burson, uh, who we're you know we're all pretty familiar with, and you know certainly one of the most respected names in in uh, in, in talent um, management. Um, you know his you know he keeps um, you know he keeps telling us uh, a lot of all the decisions we made were based on gut instinct and hunches, and we need to get better than that. So um, you know certainly a lot of that decision making could be better. Um, but the risk is if we allow, and I've heard this before, I mean, I, I hear this from my clients uh, or, or my prospects, maybe, uh, oh, we, we're purchasing new software and that should take care of the problem. Well, it doesn't. I mean, I mean buying a new ATS or a new HIRS system um, with built-in artificial intelligence does not take care of the problem. It starts making the decisions for you or suggesting that you should rely on everything that's there without ever questioning it. And uh, so I, I do think it could be automated. I don't think that's the right path to take. Um, I think there is a role for um, you know, our empathy and our compassion, which is not gonna come from, uh, from, from a machine decision. Um, and I think that's where HR needs to, to really move is be, become the, the soft skill or, or that, that human element of, uh, again, empathy and compassion, um, in, you know, embedded in, in a lot of these decisions. But if we just uh, make a decision that we have a new vendor and we have a new platform and we have new software and uh, great reporting and artificial intelligence is now driving our decisions, yeah, then you might as well just, uh, you know, just it's a slow progression to uh, handing over the reins to, uh, to uh, uh, automation. I think that people tend to look at sort of these ideas are offered individually, like here's automation, here's artificial intelligence, here's machine learning, and you know, and those are being developed individually, but they're also being developed as a suite of tools. And um, I, I wonder what extent these powerful tools working together will disrupt HR. You know, there's... Uh, we, we talk about exponential change, which is, you know, that doubling of 
of, of, of the pace of change. And uh, McKinsey has probably one of the best quotes that people uh, tend to relate to. And a lot of times I share the quotes only that of, of what people remember, either what I wrote in the book and they go, I love that piece. And it was that the, the pace of change, the pace of change is, is 10 times faster and 300 times the scope of what it was just a few years ago, which means that that when we feel uncomfortable with change, it, it's because it, it, it we should be. It, it's happening three thousand. The impact of change is three thousand times greater than what it was before, and that that keeps accelerating. Um, but as we go back and start looking at um, uh, the other part of exponential change, it's not necessarily just artificial intelligence. Um, or sensors or 3D printing, it's uh, what they call, um, if I can say this correctly, combi- combinatorial. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's combinatorial uh, with, with uh, technologies, which is a combination of technologies. So uh, here's an example most people understand that would understand how this all works. Most people are familiar with Uber or Lyft, and it's like, wow, what a great, you know, what a great business model. Well, Uber didn't happen because, um, you know, somebody had a great idea, you know, idea to, um, you know, why don't we, we don't have to buy our own fleet of vehicles. We'll just have other people drive theirs and we'll just connect them. But it happened because bandwidth um, became um, basically much uh, faster, much broader uh, and much cheaper that everybody now had access to high speed Internet and then we had the development of the iPhone, and then you had the development of sensors and GPS. Uh, and all of a sudden, all the pieces of the puzzle came together um, that, re- that allowed Uber to happen. It wasn't just saying, why don't we have people drive their own taxis? Um, because that could have happened 25 years ago. But as a consumer, how would we have called it? And we would have been calling on the phone, which means it would have been exactly the same as a taxi. But now we just pull out our iPhone. Uh, we can track where the vehicle is. We can pay online. And that's happened be- because of the combination of sensors, um, artificial intelligence, um, and, and you know a variety of other uh, technologies. So that's going to happen in... Uh, it's going to happen in HR. I mean, you know, is HR, whether it affects, um, uh, you know, it, the learning and development or having videos delivered to an individual when they need it um, of, of, hey, I, how, how do I do this? Uh, how do I use the spreadsheet or or how should I manage, um, uh, you know, a, 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 this employee who's challenging me and, the, and a supervisor or manager, you know, pulls up their phone or pulls up their laptop uh, and immediately has some personalized training. Well, that's the easy part. I mean, that, that's not a brainchild, but the, the fact is, is all the artificial intelligence uh, or all the knowledge and expertise and technology that goes behind, one is first delivering it, but one is identifying what are, you know, what's the best solution for that person. Um, so the comb- combinatorial effects or impacts of all the technologies uh, is really what people don't understand. They, they tend to, to isolate one thing and either accept it or reject it and don't understand how each of these is relying on another. And uh, that just, you know, that, that life is just going to exponentially explode. Um, and it does every day. I mean, speaking of exponential change, um, you know, I, I go to these workshops and I read these articles that say, 
the you know HR technologies are evolving faster than HR professionals can keep up. You know, and that's very much in keeping with what you're saying. They're going to turn around one day and not recognize their jobs. And you know, I think that there's starting to be an awareness of this. Um, and I guess the question that's on everyone's mind is how can HR prof- professionals make sure that they have the skills to evolve alongside the technology or at least to tread water? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good point. I, and I, I guess I'll take a little exception, um, you know, to, to what you said or, or maybe just a, a little kind of explanation of what you, what you started with is that, you know, someday, um, you know, they're going to be caught without a job or their job's going to change. I think it's happened already. I think it goes back to what we just talked about on, uh, or you know, about the fear. I think people are so fearful and it's like, you know, well, I'm 45 or 50 years old and, you know, I don't think this, you know, and even the statistics I share is like, this is 2025 or 2030. We started out our conversation that way. And it's like, well, that's eight or 10 years from now. And, you know, I'll probably be, you know, out of the, out of, out of work or I'm going to retire or I may change careers. So everybody thinks that they can just kind of push it off. Um, it's already happened. I mean, if people don't realize that their jobs have changed um, or that they're, you know, that they have a job today and that tomorrow it can't be altered or eliminated, um, I, you know, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, the other aspect is how do they prepare for it? Uh, you know, hopefully listening to podcasts like this, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe scare the, well, you know, I'll, I'll be polite. We'll, we'll scare the shift out of them. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, one is they, they have to become more comfortable with technology. Uh, and, and again, you don't have to like it, but you have to become more, more comfortable. Um, I asked in, uh, again, I, I've been doing a ton of speaking in the last month, but I, I just asked this yesterday and there might've been 50 people in this, in that particular session, you know, how many people have a smartphone, um, and are comfortable using it. And half of the room did not have smartphones. Um, they had flip phones. Or, you know, how many people don't use this? Or how many people aren't using social media? Not that social media is the end-all and be-all. And, and you know, it's a distraction. And there's, there's a lot of concerns and privacy and, and, and all that. But the fact is, is that if, if HR is not using it, or doesn't doesn't see the importance of it, they therefore just ignore it. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a huge problem because the way that learning and development is going to be delivered is based on the principles of social media. It's based on the you know of collaboration and sharing, and that's what social media was all about. I mean, it's obviously been corrupted a bit and. Um, and, and there's certainly challenges. Um, but if, if you don't understand community and sharing, then how can you design a viable learning and development program? You know, forget recruitment. Uh, so I, I, th- I think the, the, the tipping point has passed. Um, uh, you know, I think from this point, it's going to be people either going to grow with it. Uh, they're going to listen to shows like this. They're going to, you know, a lot of people do follow Ted. I'm still amazed. I was a Ted speaker to a Ted X speaker two years ago, and I'm amazed at how many people have no idea what Ted is. Um, 
you know, and, and that's not, not that that's the end, you know, not, not that that's the end all and be all for somebody's career. Um, but if, if it, it's so common and so many people follow it, that when I hear certain groups of people um, have never heard of it before, um, or they think it's too far out there, uh, or it's not practical, then, um, you know, they're not very open-minded. I mean, I, I think HR is, if you ask me what one of the skills um, going forward with HR, um, it really is going to be innovation or at least an openness uh, and a, not just a willingness to adapt, but a, 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 the ability to drive the change. That's all very interesting. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the excitement surrounding automation touches on things like what it can do, its capabilities, its training challenges, whether it's easy to use or not. Um, but earlier you mentioned that no one seems to be considering any ethical or moral implications to automation. Can you just speak about that for a little while? Yeah, I can speak about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we did yesterday. Uh, now, I, I think part of the considerations are, um, you know, as I said, you know, when we talk about uh, people analytics, making decisions, uh, you know, does that turn over the decision to the uh, machine? Um, uh, again, it doesn't consider the empathy and the compassion and the humanity. And, and that's where, uh, you know, going back to the principle of keeping the H in HR. Uh, but, um, you know, is it ethical now the way we make decisions? Um, is it ethical? I mean, I, I posed a couple questions to the group yesterday. You know, one of them was, is it ethical that, you know, there's a quota for how many people can get a five out of five on a performance review? Um, is, is it, you know, is it, is it ethical that there's a bell-shaped curve on um, performance and salary? Um, is it, is it ethical uh, not to do a performance review, not to give feedback? Um, but I present, you know, the, the one example I give is is what what people, you know, that's always held out there is as as a um, kind of a cornerstone of what the, the maybe the good and the bad of people analytics is flight risk. You know, if you can identify that uh, someone's 30, you know, that a 32 year old male uh, who commutes 30, that commutes 30 miles each day uh, is married, has one child, uh, maybe um, has a favorite sports team. I mean, some of these, you know, some unrelated uh, um, interests um, is a flight risk, you know, is, is likely to leave your organization after 24 months. If you knew that information ahead of time, would you hire that person if they if you knew that they were going to be a flight risk within a three year period? Um, the, the bigger challenge results is what if you knew that about someone in your workforce, but basically by doing good, um, you know, capturing all the information, doing good data analysis, and you were able to identify the people who were at risk, the top performers who were at risk for leaving your organization, then the ethical decision, decision is both a business decision and an ethical decision. What do you do with the information? Do you tell the manager and does the manager now write that person off or do they favor them? Um, and what are the ethical and legal implications of that? Uh, what are the implications if you identify that a certain minority or an ethnic group or a group that has a particular belief system 
um, or um, of a certain weight or height or size uh, or color? Um, what if you identify that they, you have the evidence to indicate that they are poor performers um, or will be poor performers or that they will be more prone to accidents or more prone to um, disability? Um, but it, it violates every, uh, you know, every regulation for uh, uh, EEO, you know, equal opportunity uh, and adverse impact. Uh, what do you do about that? Um, people are, are, are uh, what I said earlier, are purchasing software systems that have, have built in AI and through the machine learning is starting to be able to make better decisions. But many of those decisions are going to discriminate. Um, and it may be justified because you have the evidence, but there's a, a human element that people aren't even considering. And I know this gets into philosophy and a lot of things in the future and, you know, what ifs. And um, I'm not advocating that somebody sits down and, and either stop. You can't stop the change and, and, and you have to improve the way that, what the HR practices and processes are. But along the way is even in the purchase of the software, there is not a single person that said that they ever considered asking, you know, what are the ethics of some of these things? Um, um, I, the suggestion I have is that every organization, uh, small or large, or maybe small organizations band together and create one, but have an ethics council, have a, a start talking about some of these things. Um, again, there's not going to be a black and white set of guidelines and there's not going to be a perfect answer because things are going to keep changing. Um, but there's got to be someone at least at the forefront. And I see this as an outstanding opportunity for human resource professionals to seize that opportunity and and help guide some of these decisions. Otherwise, they're just going to you know, get on a path. And it's and once the, the genie's out of the bottle, it's you, you just can't bring it back in. Yeah, I mean, uh, working at a legal compliance company, the first thing I think of when I hear that is how many lawsuits are going to come around when workers realize that they're being discriminated against by a piece of software, you know, and that, and that the HR and hiring staff didn't take the necessary action to balance that out or to overcome it. Yeah. The, um, are you? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Are you aware of any any issues like that happening now? You know, the, there was a lot of, uh, at this conference, it was uh, the, the our, our regional uh, SHRM group, and it was the legal conference, so there was a lot of attorneys that were keynote speakers. And they started to indirectly, I, I don't remember offhand any specific example, and, and I don't think there was an example as explicit as what you're looking for, but there were some of these side issues, and as I'm sitting there anticipating what the next round is going to be, um, you know, um, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know any specific case, but what I, there's a, um, and, and people can look this up. It's, uh, I don't have, it's, it's from Deloitte. Um, uh, and I, I think if you look up like Josh Burson, Deloitte, uh, Josh isn't there anymore, but if you, you look up, uh, Deloitte, there was a report done, I think this year is like the, the, the AI implications uh, in HR. I think that was the title of it. And there's, they have a great, they have a fantastic graph and the graph shows the exponential curves for technology, individuals, business, and public policy. And public policy is you know, basically the law. That's what we're talking about here. 
And, you know, obviously technology, we everybody agrees, is changing quickly. And the hook, you know, the, the rapid upswing of uh, technology is there. And then individuals tend to be slower at adapting to that change. But they're, you know, there's still a pretty good curve uh, on that exponential uh, change curve. And then you get to businesses who have, uh, you know, a lot of invest. I mean, to make these changes, there's a lot of investment, change in governance, change in policy. Um, and then almost the flat line is public policy. Um, so here we, you know, this whole discussion is, and, it, and you bring up a great point, are, are there going to be legal and compliance issues? Are there going to be case law? Are companies going to get sued for making some of these decisions? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm not, but part of the problem is not going to be because the company's wrong. Part of the problem is going to be that that the, our, our public policy is already lagging behind what needs to be done to manage, and I won't say control, but help manage um, the, the pathway to, you know, all the technology that's going to be possible. And, and, and some of the challenge reaches to, you know, I, I ask this question to my audiences, you know, what, what privacy would you be willing to give up? You know, what are you willing to give up if you could cure cancer or do you have, you know, do you know anyone who has Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or heart disease or chronic diabetes? Uh, and if, if by giving up some of your private information, you were able to extend life five years or 10 years, you know, and, you know, if it was a loved one or your parents or a sister or brother or wife or kid, um, you know, what would you be able to do? And everybody says, oh, that would be great. Well, uh, until they, but then they question, you know, what do we do with our, you know, what do we do? Who, who's managing all information? And um, I, again, when I hear Congress questioning Mark Zuckerberg, of how does Facebook make money? It just indicates how oblivious they are to what's happening in in the rest of the world. And and again, not that I think Facebook or any social media company or any technology, Apple, Google, um, should have free reign. Um, but when the people that are govern are supposed to be governing us and protecting us don't seem to have a clue of even how these companies exist or what it is. Um, that gap's just going to widen. So uh, it, that's the scary part. And, you know, I'm, I'm an aging baby boomer. I, you know, I, I, they call me the millennial trapped in the baby boomer body because I think one way, but, you know, but my body doesn't feel it. Uh, but I, it, it is, it's a scary time. It's a really scary time. And, and again, I, um, it, it's, I, I read a, a book last year. If, any, if you haven't read it, I, I would suggest everybody in, in HR read this book. It's not mine. I mean, I, I hope you read my books, but um, it's by uh, Leon Gerhard, um, and it's called Technology Versus Humanity, uh, and it's it's a phenomenal book. He has a lot of videos out there, um, but it, it it gets into the very discussion of what we're talking about, the ethics of it, and he you know he advocates that there should be a global ethics council. Um, you know, he's he's talking much much bigger things than what we're talking about here. They're talking about weapons, you know, literally having weapons of mass destruction that there won't be a human, um, you're running them. It'll all be by machines. 
um, we're you know our our decisions are a lot simpler <laughs> to go there. Yeah. But I I think you know HR just needs to kind of step up and um, you know not only as individuals are they going to does HR exist, but uh, I think HR could exist as the uh, you know uh, again putting the humanity back in human resources. Yeah, and and how about that? How do we get the humanity back into human resources with these? you know, technological advancements? Well, we need to start talking about it. I mean, you and I are having this discussion. Um, you know, I was I was pleasantly surprised that so many people attended my session because I was up against uh, ADI compliance and some of the legal issues. And uh, I, there was a there was a, a, another attorney who I'm friends with, and he's a great speaker. He's entertaining. And, you know, here I am talking about ethics and and there, there's no right or wrong to it. And, um, and it's more philosophical than practical at times. Um, but but I, 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 it's like anything else. I mean, it's self-awareness. Um, I'm just shocked, even going back to my example of flight risk. Um, you know, if, if anybody's paid any attention to people analytics and, you know, that's certainly the hot topic these days in HR, if anybody's even paid the, the, the smallest attention to that, they've identified um, that we're going to be able to predict things that are 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 both better, uh, more accurate for the company, but scarier. And um, I'm, I'm just shocked at how many people have no clue of what it's capable of doing. Um, and therefore is, oh, I don't like pre-employment testing because it gets, it's an invasion of privacy. Pre-employment test, and I make, I make my living selling testing. Um, pre-employment testing is nothing compared to what's, you know, where, where some of the other decisions and some of the other, uh, you know, technologies are headed. Um, so, I, you know, it's like anything else. I think self-awareness, um, there's got to be some discussions um, I was pleasantly surprised that that many people showed up at my sessions the other day. Um, I'm actually putting it on my agenda to offer it at, at different conferences. And um, but I'm only one person and spreading the word. And, you know, obviously, hopefully there'll be a lot of people that listen to this. Um, but I, I think uh, some, you know, there, there's got to be more people carrying that message rather than trying to, to solve. We need to solve today's problems, but uh, tomorrow's problems are going to be much, much deeper. And it does put HR at risk for being a profession. You know, what's the role? Uh, maybe HR becomes the ethicist of the uh, of the organization. You know, as you know, as everyone knows, there is this hiring crunch. Um, we're at nearly full employment. And companies are trying to expand. They need new. They need new people. They need quality candidates. You know, and at the same time, there's all these uh, ATSs and other, you know, applicant uh, pieces of applicant software out there. You know, I, I'm wondering if there is a time when the distance created between humans and automation creates uh, an urgency in the sense that people that are hiring aren't being interacted with on a human level. People that are trying to find jobs aren't being interacted with on a human level and avoid those organizations. You know, I know when I get an, an email that says, oh, we got your application, that means almost nothing to me compared to if someone calls me and says, you know, we got your application, we think your resume is great and we're excited to see to see what happens next. 
well, I mean, you hit on a point. I mean, the number there, there's two significant complaints I hear from um, from job seekers, and you know, when I'm mostly I'm, I'm speaking to employ uh, you know HR professionals or business owners, um, but you know. The, inevitably somebody raises their hand and said, you know, I sent out 19 applications when I was looking for a job last year and I I never heard from any company or I only heard from one. So the fact is that there are ways to automate a response and make those responses personal. Um, And, you know, we're even doing it through texting, but uh, video is going to be much, much bigger. Um, uh, You know, I've, in part of talking about how people are going to search for jobs, uh, voice search is going to be much better. And, you know, frankly, when you can get a more personal response from Alexa or Cortana or Google Home than you can get from HR uh, after I apply for a job, that's, you know, that's a shame. I mean, that's so, uh, it, you know, human resources needs to step up to the plate and become more responsive. And uh, but that has nothing to do with automation. That has to do with um, being polite. That has to do with courtesy. That has to do with being responsive. Um, the, the fact is, is that, you know, we get so many applications, we don't have time to respond to anybody is not a valid excuse. That's just bad business. That's, you know, I, I, I just went to my bank and, you know, they had two tellers, both of them are on the phone. The branch manager comes out, starts talking to one of the tellers who's on the phone. And there's two people in the drive-thru and four people standing in the lobby. Um, that's just bad customer service. Uh, that had nothing to do with automation. Frankly, I wish there was a way I could have automated what I had to do, and I would have preferred automation. So I, I think part of it is is stop doing a lot. You know, people need to stop doing a lot of the administrative tasks that they're comfortable with and they're being paid to do now because those are going to go away. And then lifting your head from the paper or lifting your head from the screen and speaking to someone. Uh, when I suggest in recruitment that you know, that you should, you know, there's no reason that if somebody applies and meets a certain criteria that a bell doesn't go off um, on your screen that, hey, there's a qualified candidate and um, uh, they've reached out to you that you couldn't have a five minute chat. And people said, well, you know, that means we'd have to sit there all day long. Well, yeah, you could sit there and be notified. um, But but in effect, um, what what you're doing, the busy work that you're doing could be done, um, you know, by a machine uh, and then allow you to have better interaction, uh, not rush the interview, uh, communicate with that person, um, you know, not just once, but multiple times. Um, so I, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I I think part of the reason you, you HR is in a fix now is because they they're so uh, entrenched with uh, administrative and paperwork, and now it's open enrollment. Um, you know, a, a lot of that could be automated, and then uh, literally sitting down with each employee and advising them uh, what's the best choice they should make to enroll, rather than. You know, we we allowed the computer to determine what's the best plan for you. Well, that's uh, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, I guess that about wraps it up on our end. So thank you so much, Ira. It's been fantastic talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. 
Yeah. Well, and thanks for the invitation. Uh, again, it's a huge, huge topic. Um, I appreciate, uh, you know, the opportunity to share my opinions, which is all they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully we're, we'll stay on this journey together. Absolutely. You're most welcome. And uh, listeners, please feel free to contact us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. That's all one word. Uh, with any feedback today or if you have a suggestion for future topics or if you just want to say hi. Um, Thanks for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.